0: Hello and welcome back to our podcast. We're glad that you can be here with us as we go back to school. This quarter we're looking at education and we've made an effort in some of the, some of the episodes to draw on our expertise and our interests and to bring some new ideas, although, although not so much for the last two episodes. So, so this one we're back to form. We're going to take you back to school to help you perhaps find something that you may have missed in your grade 7 poetry class. Perhaps, perhaps a reason to love poetry, at least we hope. ...that you may not have fully seen before. And if, and if you are a poetry lover, then this, this episode's for you. My name is Cameron, and I'm recording from Launceston, Tasmania.
1: G'day, I'm Ken, also from Lonnie. And this is Luke, uh, recording from Hong Kong.
2: And I'm Lachlan from Sydney.
0: Now, it's good that we're, we're going to jump into some poetry. The, the lesson talks about uh, worship in education... And we've selected poetry partly because, Ken, you took a, a sermon for us in Launceston a few weeks ago, which I personally enjoyed very much, on one of your favourite poems. And also because I, I do think it is a sort of an art form that is somewhat neglected in the Adventist service. When we think of worship, we think of music. Sometimes if the service is a bit exploratory, we, we may have a, a picture prominently displayed or someone painting a picture up the front. Uh, but poetry as an art form doesn't doesn't seem to get quite so much As a looking as as some of the other arts art forms and uh, and I wonder why that is. It certainly does. If if you happen to be an English teacher in a high school, and I have taught English in a high school, it is a topic that people uh, a significant portion of the class is anxious to avoid. I I remember very much my grade ten class uh, unit on poetry. Uh, It began with uh, a boy whose name was Ryan, and uh, we were required to make haikus and it had to be on a theme from nature. And Ryan's haiku was uh, called Waterfalls. And it was... Um, waterfalls, downward, downward, splash. Now I flush. And that was his contribution to the poetry class. And it, it completely derailed the whole lesson because every poem from the male portion of the class... For the rest of the unit, it didn't matter if it was a, a, hi, a haiku or a limerick or a sonnet. It it all revolved around the toilet, and I think I think it it uh, drove our teacher to distraction. Um, but it was very memorable. Um, it's it's <laughs> well, the right, only right. year I can remember studying poetry.
1: Ryan's not alone in that. Um, uh, there's a uh, a poem by the Australian poet Bruce Doar uh, that talks about. Um, observing a gorilla uh, in the zoo and observing the gorilla pick up its faeces and look at it and play with it. So yeah, you know, it's great poets uh, deal with such things.
0: Ah, good. <laughs> good. Well, that's pleasant. Well, um, any listeners who are listening to this podcast, who were in my grade 10 uh, poetry class may be disappointed to discover that today's, today's um, poem has nothing to do with faeces. So if that's the source of disappointment, you'll have to find another podcast. It is. It is, though. However, got a lot to do with worship, and it's a, it's a great poem. Can do you want to introduce the poem, and then we'll read it?
1: Look, I will. It's called "As Kingfishers Catch Fire," which of course is the first uh, phrase in the poem. It's written by Jared Manley Hopkins. Um, he was a poet from uh, well centuries ago, uh, but a a religious man who wrote uh, religious poetry, uh, and uh, this is. One of my favourites. Uh, do you want me to read it? Um, you in read fact, the whole thing, Ken. In, in fact, I've I've memorised it, but uh, I don't trust myself even on a podcast to do it from from memory in public. Although I did when we did the
0: sermon. Just before you start, Ken, um, listeners can be reminded that the poem will be reproduced in the sh- in the show notes attached to the podcast, or you can do a Google search for "as kingfisher as kingfishers catch fire" and the. Um, the poem turns up as the first entry, uh, it's not, of course, necessary, but it may may be beneficial to have the poem in front of you as we discuss it for this episode because uh, the language is so rich and um, nuanced and interesting uh, that if it's not in front of you, it may be a bit harder to, to keep up with the references we're making.
1: I'll read it. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, Finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves. Goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying, What I do is me, for that I came. I say more. The just man justices. Keeps grace. That keeps all his goings graces. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. Christ. For Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces.
0: Thank you, Ken. Let's Let's start with the discussion of the, the structure of the poem and then we might, and some of the techniques, and then we might work towards some of the, the central ideas in the poem as we, as we move along. You, you lead us on this one, Ken, because this is, this is your poem.
1: Well, well, let's start with the rhyme. Uh, give me the rhymes.
0: Uh, flame name? Yes. Same came. Oh. Yeah.
1: Just go for um. the end of the lines. Yeah, yeah.
2: Wells,
3: well,
1: well bells, well
3: dwells, spells.
1: Yes. So you can see that there, there's just two, uh, rhyming, uh, sounds there, aren't there? There's the aim and the l's. Uh, that's in the first um, uh, octave of the sonnet.
2: But it's got a, it's got a kind of I don't know. In music, it would be an anacrusis because they come in pairs. But the flame, the first one is on its own, and from then on they're paired up. Flame on its own and then wells bells, then name same, then dwells spells. Ah, then, and then it came. has then have... the last one is on yeah.
1: its own. So you'll actually see that the, the structure there is an A B B A B B A. Mm. Um, so it's an it's an it's an ABBA structure.
0: And in the last stanza that changes. It's a it's an A B A I oh, I guess well, a C D C D C D.
1: Yes, it is. Justices, Graces, is places, his faces. Yeah, are there any other rhymes in the poem? Um,
2: definitely, the way you read it out, Ken. So in the third line, um, stones ring like each tucked string tells. Yep. Tells is in the middle of that line, but it's picking up the wells bells dwells. It's picking up and that there's sound. Also, the
0: ri- the ring string within that yes. line. Yes, it's 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 too.
3: not um, technically rhyme, and I don't know what the actual term for it is, but it's it's. Uh, I, I guess it's the rhythm of certain words with similar sounds. It's not quite alliteration. It's not alliteration. I don't know what it is. But something like the um, bow swung finds tongue. I mm-hmm. guess swung and tongue rhyme. They're just not Swung and
1: tongue same. rhyme. You're quite right. They, they're they not yeah. spelt the same, but they certainly... And, and so uh, does hung. So on the previous mm. line, hung, swung, tongue. Yes. So there, and, there, and there's then, some more rhyme.
3: There's um, there's a sort of pattern of words which is almost, it 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 goes back to the it, it goes somewhere and then it goes back to where it was. So like in the line, "Keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces," yeah. is yeah. a sort of circular pattern to the words, even though it's not a a rhyme.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Acts in God's eye, what in God's, what God's eye he eye is. He is. It's, again, it's a bit of a circle, wraps back around. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's almost and a. Um, What's the the words that are the same forwards and backwards
2: Oh yeah like a palindrome.
1: yeah almost it's not quite it's an fact. allusion to that sort of thing though yeah well th- there's some there's some rhyme and there's another bit of the structure What about you mentioned the word alliteration um, Luke uh, so, so alliteration the same uh, the, the, starting yeah, there sounds. is also
0: w- where, do, where do we
1: see that find some examples of that.
0: Sells speaks spells in one line
1: there you are what about yeah. the very first line uh kingfish's catch yeah. Dragon dragonflies, dragonflies draw. draw there you are yeah. yep uh rim and roundy tucked string tells
2: yeah this is i was gonna say there's the string tucked string tells string starts with an s but if you read them um if you're saying them together the tucks. The the s feels like it falls onto the tucked, and you end up with tucked ting tells. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Lovely and what and about limbs. that? There you go.
0: Father features faces.
1: Yep. Mm. Uh, speak spells stones and string.
0: Um, so that, there's lots there. It's it's interesting, Ken, because when I when I was studying poetry, one of the things that I I I was a fairly compliant student and I was fairly interested too. So it wasn't like I was a down and out rebellious anti-poetry cultural philistine as a teenager. But um, mm. I still did feel that it was a bit, a bit of a stretch to talk about all these things. Why do you why do you talk about all things? Why, why does it matter if it alliterates? What What does it add? Uh, that perspective changes a lot when you have young kids and they're at that stage where they're not actually saying words but they're babbling. But, the, you know, initial babble is not very heavily laden with information. But, you know, there is a stage where kids are so incredibly capable at, at explaining what they want. Um, but it's not the words that they're saying. Mm. It's the tone and the sound and the, you know, mm. the sound of words has effect on us. We, which is why advertising slogans work. Advertising slogans work. Why should, why should it matter if I'm trying to think of an advertising slogan that oh, rhymes or something? Which, um, which
3: reminds me, and this is not a well-informed reference, but I remember reading somewhere about a study which established that people find something more believable if it's catchy and it rhymes. <laughs> there's, some, there's some deep psychology there. So is that, I mean, I I don't want
2: to bring him too much into this episode, but, you know, Donald Trump is obviously famous for these catchy, diminishing nicknames for his opponents. Uh, You're suggesting that that actually has considerable power in it?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think there's another element to talking about, uh, you know, some of those technical aspects of it, Um, and and that is that uh, that's part of poetry, And so what it does in in this case, in my view, uh, in fact, the poem itself demonstrates part of the message and we'll move on to that, but there is a real technical mastery um, in the poetic form uh, that uh, Hopkins demonstrates here with all of those things. I mean, we've seen so many examples uh, of his use of the traditional um, poetic tools of rhyme and alliteration uh, that create a real density uh, in this poem and, a real, and demonstrate a real technical mastery uh, of, of the art.
0: And it's, it's a technical mastery of, of ideas, and, and we'll jump into some of the ideas um, because it seems to me that there's, there's a lot to unpack, but poetry explores ideas in a really different way to, to other genres. And, and, you know, something like the book of Leviticus has lots of ideas, but the mode of the delivery of those ideas tends to be focused more, or let's think of a more extreme example, a modern rental lease agreement. Um, no. There's there's very particular ideas that need to be expressed. And the focus is that the ideas must be communicated with maximum precision, but there's no need for brevity. The, 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 it goes on for pages and pages and pages. The ideas that's trying to convey are pretty simple. The house is yours to live in if you pay for it and don't damage it. Um, but you just have to do it really precisely. And so you end up with some genres that maximize on precision, where there's n- e- the idea is exactly this idea and it cannot be any other idea. Contrast with this something like poetry, where instead of just having a few ideas that you explain with many, many words, you have many, many ideas that you're trying to explain with just a few words or trying to bring to mind with just a few words, which is, I think, where the power of, of poetry is.
3: As somebody who uh has just recently dealt with a rental contract, I would say there is value in brevity <laughs> still <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. but but maybe not enough uh, to to uh, to save us from having to read through the things yeah. but um coming back to the I think there's another another um, value in uh poetry being shorter uh, aside from just you know the goal of sort of conveying much imagery and ideas and, and emotion with relatively few words um is also in its role of transferring or recording if you will um wisdom and knowledge um because and we touched on this in previous in a couple of previous episodes the other thing aside from it sort of being more believable if it's in rhyme is that it is known to be more easy to remember. Uh, that's why we have memnonics, um, which is basically modern form of, of a very, very old oral tradition of passing on knowledge. If you tell it in rhyme, it's easier to remember. If it's easier to remember it, it's easier to remember correctly. It's easier to teach other people. It's easier to preserve the knowledge that is contained within it. Uh, in, an, in an oral tradition. And oral traditions are very useful because they don't require easy access to writing. And it's worth remembering that it's not, it wasn't just a case of we invented writing and then everybody had writing. Uh, it was many thousands of years after writing was invented before, you know, cheap paper and public education um, got to, got us to the point where everybody could read and write. Even in a, you know ancient societies of, of you know famous learning whatever ancient Greeks ancient Romans, you still had a society which most people couldn't read or write, and information had to be transmitted orally, um, and and remembered, and that's why you know something like the like the Iliad was originally a poem um, because it had to be it had to be told. And listened to, and a poem is easier to remember than and
0: it's, it not des- a poem. definitely doesn't pass the test of brevity. <laughs> the Iliad, no, but that's doesn't. the other thing
3: is um, they can be long. You can yeah. have long poems for sure. Um, so I, I think I think something like uh, like a more recent example would be something like Beowulf, which. Uh, I will. I, I love will put, how you're picking
2: I'm, that for your more recent example.
3: Well, it's more recent than the Iliad. It's true. Um, it's an. Ex- I mean, it was. It was ultimately it was written down. But it's. It's. It's a. It's a poem. You know, in Old English, it's got a meter and rhythm and certain patterns of language that are repeated and build on themselves. And that there's meaning contained in that, but it's also got a practical purpose in that it will be easier to remember, and I will try and bring Beowulf back into this discussion at some point again.
1: I look, I look, I look forward to that. One of the things that I th- think that we should do before we look at some of the more meaning is to perhaps just look at some of the images and see what you would, what, what it brings to mind. Um, the the very first line, as as kingfishers catch, what, what is it? What what? A, how do kingfishers catch fire? What, what, what's the image that you're seeing there?
2: Yeah, I have to admit some difficulty.
0: It's the iridescent feathers, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I would have thought so. Um, and, and the dragon draws drawing flame. Yeah. You see that the the, the the sun shine off the reflection on their wings.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, what about yeah, this rapid sus- movement? Just hang on, Ken. To draw flame could mean to paint a picture of flame, like to. Or to draw flame, like if you draw water from a well, you're like extracting flame. Or you talk about
1: when you light a fire, or when you look at a chimney, you ask how does it draw? Uh, So Mm. how does the how does that fire breathe? How does it gain its oxygen? Um, uh, So it draws uh, the oxygen in the air into the fire. Um, Mm. Interesting. Um, What about tumbled over as tumbled over rim in roundy well stones ring. What's, what's, the, what's, what's the concept there? Um, Th- this sounds like a year seven poetry class. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it reminds me a lot of certain
3: long buried memories. Well, well, Luke,
2: one of those long buried memories. Do you recall once in, in initial frustration, I think it was you and I decided we would take our English class notes in haiku form. Um, yeah, I think and,
3: we ended up writing out most of King Lear as haiku. Yeah. <laughs> it actually it was actually a really great way to take notes.
2: It was memorable, as Cam said um, at the start. Ken, I, I hear, I, I have the the image of loud noises, uh, rocks falling into yeah. hollow places.
1: Yeah, quite quite so. And if you think of a of a stone, uh, tink 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 tink. Down the sides of the well as it as it goes down, and it and it has a bit of a ring to it. Um, what about this? Each tucked string tells. What what's the usual word that you would use for a string? Uh, for making plucked. a string speak. It's, yeah. it's not tucked, is it? It's plucked. Um, uh, so he uses it's a, a rhyme, it's a poem, so but you creates can, the you alliteration. Can do whatever you want. <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, so he, so he alludes to the plucking by using the riot yeah. of for that word, but he that's creates what I the alliteration from
3: poetry class.
1: <laughs> he creates yes. the alliteration by using the word tucked, uh, which is quite which when you look at it can have a literal meaning that's similar uh, but not exactly the same. Um, what about that what about the other word here um, uh, that being hung, indoors hung oh, the, the hung bell's bow. Well, what's the bow in the bell? Uh, usually, the bow would be related to the string, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, so you've well, got this crossover. Yeah, I
3: mean, Go on. Are they are they connected or are those two separate? You've got hung bells and then bow swung finds tongue. So yeah. swinging the bow is the bow of a, a string instrument, yeah. and then it finds tongue. It makes a noise to well, fling the, out broad its name.
1: The bow is actually the part of the bell, the bowed part of the bell. That, oh, is it that the that the, um, see, that, the ha- that, that the hanger strikes um so yeah but but oh, it, okay well that works um it does work bow swung. it finds, works literally but it creates this connection between the two images doesn't it the the, the, the bow the and the string story. oh yes it the, would have
3: to be because the bell apostrophe s is a possessive
1: yeah yeah
3: um, it's the bell's bow
2: yeah so so ken i'll admit that when when you read through it at the start i found this a little bit too dense yeah. um I couldn't catch it in real time. I'm mm. enjoying this now. I'm feeling like I'm getting a little bit more of a handle on it.
1: Mm. Well, good. Um, and that's, that's hopefully the worshipful part of it. What about the word selves? Deals out that being indoors each one dwells and then selves. What's that word?
0: And then it sort of repeated selves goes itself. self. Mm. Mm. Myself it
3: speaks and spells. Crying yeah. what I do is me for that I came.
1: So usually a self is a noun, isn't it? Um, mm. But here mm. we see him using the noun in an unusual way because what these things do is they deal out that being indoors each one dwells. So they deal out what is inside of them. Interesting that he used the words indoors rather than just the more plain word inside. But so they deal out that which is inside. So what they do is they self, they, or, or selves, goes itself myself it speaks and spells so a really so selves interesting is a verb. selves is a verb yeah it's it's, it's a doing word um, and the same happens in the next uh, the next um, part of the poem on the first line the just man justices yeah. um, so justice is usually a description um, uh, or, or a noun in fact a name but uh, uh, there again he's turning the type of word it is around so it's another interesting um uh, m- what a mastery of the of the time to uh not use the traditional form of the word
0: yeah and then there's this concept of the playing ken and pl- when it says cross plays in 10,000 places to play has heaps of connotations there's the, the idea of games but there's also the idea of music and and uh we are the instruments on which Christ is playing just like the bell and the string inherently just sings itself out is it in an analogous way or in a contrasting way that Christ plays in 10,000 places because the, the thing that's playing in these places is not itself it's something else
1: that that is interesting isn't it because each one does one thing and the same deals out what is inside it. We, we each are what we were meant to be. Um, and yet what we were meant to be uh, is the instrument of Christ.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The line which jumped out at me, Ken, as you took me through, because I'm not familiar with this poem. Prior to this podcast conversation, um, I may have heard it, but I'm not very familiar with it. And the line that really jumped out to me was the... Uh, and which which helped everything sort of click together, was this middle of the second stanza, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ.
1: Mm. Yes. Uh, Can you think of some texts that that would suggest that people are Christ? Uh, Love love your neighbour as yourself. Yep. Um Mm. And there's the sheep and the goats. Um, yes,
3: what what you did for me, the least of these, you did. Yeah, you did to me.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. But even even that's people responding to Christ. There's more direct than that, where where people, where, you know, doesn't Paul say, um, you know, there's a verse to the effect that it's not, it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. You're thinking
1: of Galatians mm. two twenty, I think, Cam.
0: Am I? Well, let's, let's read it out. Galatians 2.20.
3: I really like the, that whole line, Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places. The plays and the 10,000 places, which is, again, being Christ-like is an inherently joyful thing. And also that Christ is, is in the least of these, in everyone.
0: So Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that interesting?
1: Mm. Are there other passages that you can think of? Because it seems to me Christ plays in 10,000 places. The message that we're really getting, and that he's lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. Um, The message that we're getting is that Christ is in us, Uh, that he plays through our limbs and through our uh, eyes, Um, and... uh, the Father sees Christ uh, in us. Through the features of men's
3: faces. Yes. Yes. Um, very, so, very and, and,
1: very any other wonderful. text that you can think of? There'd, that be, might go. there'd
0: be something in the Gospel of John, wouldn't there? Something about the vine and the branches and us being unable to produce fruit apart from Christ?
1: That's a very good one. Uh, there was another one in John that I was thinking of, which is John 1.26. Um, uh, There's
3: also Genesis. Oh, Made in God's image.
1: Yes. So John one twenty six um uh, is not the right text. Uh, it's John seventeen twenty. Uh, so seventeen twenty. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then at verse twenty six. Um, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them.
0: Mm. There's something here that, can, that contrasts with the first part of the poem. And when I was at school, there was a guy doing the circuits talking to schools on ethics. He was, he's an ethicist, Peter Vardy, and he was very good. And he, he had a couple of... When he was trying to talk about different schools of ethics, and and... What gives someone moral responsibilities? You know, we don't place many, we don't, we don't maintain that rocks have many moral responsibilities. And what about a dog or a, a human? Ultimately, what is it about us humans that makes us moral creatures? And one of the ideas in this that he discussed was the idea of I'm going to get this wrong. I think the term he used was natural ethics. This idea that uh, that the right thing to do is the thing. That something in an ideal natural state would do. I can't. I'm getting this wrong. But the example he always used was wombats. He, he was British, and um, greatly enamoured with wombats because they square. That they, they have square poo. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we now have I've got, got there, and we've got there in the end. So um, <laughs> the they waiting the whole podcast to do. <laughs> I have. So wombats poo square poos. And he said, you know, so this is this is really the limit then of a... Wombats are not capable of very much. Um, they dig, they eat. Well, yeah, they can do lots of things. But, you know, by the time you've ruled out eating, creating more wombats, pooing square poo and digging holes, there's, there's not a lot left over apart from that, as far as we know. So he said you would hold a wombat who did, did those things to be a good wombat, whereas... You know, the capacity that humans have for moral reasoning, the fact that it's something that we can do, seems to suggest it's something we ought to do. I don't know if I'm using, if I'm creating the, lo- the correct logical construct from his example, but it was something along those lines. Certainly in this poem, there is a contrast between the things that seem to glorify God by just being themselves. They are unthinkingly glorifying God. The kingfisher, flying and the iridescent feathers, and the dragonflies, and the... And the even just the pebbles rolling down the hill, you know, each mortal thing does one thing and the same; it does itself. Um, and what I do is me. For that I came, but that's that's not the, what seems to be suggested. About in in the in the second stanza, the second stanza is not about being us. The second stanza is about is about being Christ.
1: And indeed, he that distinction. Uh, is drawn out by the start of the second stanza, which starts with the words, I say more.
3: And it's interesting, the two characteristics he defines as being Christ or being being like Christ is, is justice and grace.
0: Mm. Well, they're the two things that are more, aren't they? I say more. What's more? The just man justices and keeps grace. Isn't that interesting? Because those two are often touted to be in opposition. How so? The well, genuine you know, question.
1: The example I would give is on the uh, penal substitutionary theory of the atonement. Uh, you know, God's justice demands that sin be punished. Um, uh, and uh, But his grace means that he won't punish you, he'll punish somebody else. Um, uh, so you get let off um so the justice demands the punishment but the grace relieves it
3: ah i see i was thinking of justice more in the sense of the sense of a a person a man being just to others not being un, not being unfair not uh taking advantage of other people so so maybe there's
1: not a contrast on on the way you're looking at it
3: no, I didn't I, that's why I asked because I I wasn't thinking about the sense of justice as in divine justice or legal justice. I, w- I was I didn't see a contradiction at all.
0: And we've we've referred previously to the idea that grace doesn't necessarily require wrongdoing. You don't have to wait until someone has wronged you before you can show grace to them. If gra- showing grace to them means giving them something of value that they, haven't earned then then you can do that to someone who's done you no wrong uh, when when we smile at a stranger in the street they haven't earned that um, that's being gracious
3: I always like the definition of grace as not not caring whether or not someone else is uh, deserves it or not it's 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 not about you're not looking to go out of your way to do a favor for somebody who doesn't deserve it Likewise, you're also not looking to do good things only to people who deserve it, which is another view. You're literally indiscriminately good. (laughs) The tying together, Luke, that
2: you've identified here of justice and grace in the second stanza of the poem uh, makes my thoughts turn immediately to Psalm 85, verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. I've heard that rendered justice and peace kiss each other. and it seems to be very similar in theme to this idea of the true window into God is is only found if you're if you're holding justice and grace or righteousness and peace together in an embrace. Uh, I think often, when one of those is taken over the other it becomes an un- incomplete and a an less helpful picture of god
0: this idea of lovely in limbs uh, the idea that god when god looks at us he sees us as being lovely is uh not always the picture you get of god sometimes the picture you get is that god is uh that we're pretty filthy and 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 of course, I guess in a sense we are, we're, we've all done wrong things. and There are parts of our character that God would be anxious to f- fix. So, uh, but you know, this idea that God graciously puts up with us, even though we're a nasty, horrible bunch of sinners, because he's loving, you know, we sometimes get the picture that God loves us in spite of who we are, but he doesn't like us.
1: It's It's reluctant. He'll he'll mm. he'll do what's the
0: begrudging. Whereas this this is quite a picture that it's even not is it's, it's not even that the person in this poem described in this poem has succeeded in being Christ. He acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. It's almost an element of God. Well, I'm going to just try, and to be Christ, and it sometimes feels like a bit of an act.
3: I well, it's interesting you say that because I tell you what strikes me about this poem is the idea of the truth of a thing you know that that something is best when it is honest and is revealing its true self um because it reminds me of um a very similar idea that i came across in my study of architecture which is from a gentleman called john ruskin who had a lot to say about the truth was one of his seven lamps of architecture lamps being illuminating values. And he, he felt it very important that architecture did not seek to hide what a material was. So the idea of something like fake stone or a fake brick finish or something like that, completely abominable to him. It, it was important that a material be seen for the material that it was. And only then would, would you know, the highest standard of, of architectural Expression be realized. Um, so I just looked it up and he is a contemporary of Gerald Manley Hopkins. It was the same era. So it didn't surprise me to see the same idea coming out. I didn't get the sense in the poem that the act means pretends or attempts or... I think it's
0: more about... Like put into action.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, it, yes.
0: Like enacts. Like put, in... More in the sense of to enact something.
1: He, he yes. simply does what in God's eye he is. I think it's a really important point that you, you bring out in, in the that arises out of this poem, Luke, and, and I would use the word congruence. So uh, there's a consistency between the means and the message. There's a consistency between the words uh, and the works, and we see that consistency in the poem. Gerard Manley Hopkins, with this poem, demonstrates precisely who he was meant to be a great spiritual poet um uh, that's what he was put on earth to do uh, and he demonstrates it uh with this poem and we can think we can all think of other examples of it you know we, we, i went to a, a tommy emmanuel concert once and came out of it thinking there's a man who was doing what he was meant to be doing um uh some people are just meant to play the guitar and he was doing it um in the same way that birds bird and flowers flower and uh, trees and stone, seas and... Stone, stone. Stone, um, stone. <laughs> um.
0: There, there is a distinction, and, and the distinction, I think, makes a reference back to Genesis, because much is made in the book of Genesis in most Adventist tellings of the creation account that I've heard, that God uh, spoke the animals into existence, but he formed man out of the dust as a point of distinction. In point of fact, in one of the... In fact, someone checked me on this. In Genesis 1, he speaks the animals and humankind into existence. And in Genesis 2, he forms them both from the dust.
2: So in in Genesis... Yeah. In Genesis 2, it is where he forms man from the dust. But does he not
0: also form the animals from the dust in Genesis 2?
2: And in Genesis two, verse nine, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food.
0: The order's all different to the animals. Yeah. And I, um, I'm
3: just I'm just reading Genesis yeah. one, and, and yes, then, God speaks mankind.
2: And then in in Genesis two, verse nineteen, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens.
3: Yeah. So, so and um, I confirm Genesis it, one is is. Speaking for everything, including mankind.
0: Including man. So in, yeah. in point of fact, the the um, the mechanism of the creation is the same for mankind and the animals in Genesis 1 mm. as internally. And in Genesis 2, there's internal consistency. There's just a, a, a contrast between Genesis 1 and 2. But there is a point of difference between mankind and the animals. And it's the first poetry recorded in the Bible, since we're talking about poems... Uh, and it is uh, an ABA poem. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, the image of he, God created... he
3: created them. Male and female he created them.
0: So um, it's a little chiasm there. So uh, that that is a point of distinction that's made, and it seems to be the same distinction that's happening here. The kingfisher just bees itself. A bell, an inanimate bell, is just itself. But... But humankind is, we're not 100% ourselves. We bear God's image. So when God looks at us, he sees himself. He sees Christ uh, played in our faces and in our features. And this is, of course, a theme that Christ pulls out in the New Testament when he's asked about taxation, which is a story we referred to last week. And he says to the Pharisees, show me a coin. Whose image is on the coin?" And they say Caesar's images on the coin, and Christ says, "All right, we'll give, give to Caesar the thing that bears his image, and give to God what is God's. Give to God the thing that bears God's image, which hmm. is, of course, us. Us. Caesar yes. Caesar requires your money and taxation. God requires you. Uh, if if you're going to be if you're going to be the best you you can be, that requires you." that requires you being God's image, being his representative, um, acting as he acts, uh, having his interests at heart. And that is a distinction between made in the Bible, between humankind and and the rest of the created world. And that seems to be very strongly represented in this poem.
2: That's really nice, Cam. There is one other thing that I'd like to just ask, um, given that I'm not an expert on this poem. I I see there being another subtle distinction being made but it's, it's implied. So the kingfisher just does its thing. Dragonflies do their thing. Stones, bells, they do their thing. But in the second stanza, I say more the just man justices and keeps grace and acts in God's eye what God he, what, what in God's eye he is. What then of the unjust man? And to me, that's the—that's a question which is not answered by this poem, unless it's answered by a kind of implied contrast.
0: The implied contrast is like that: for bells, there are no just bells and unjust bells. A bell's just a bell. Mm. So there <laughs> does seem to be. There does seem mm. to be the things in the first stanza can't help living out their purpose, but there is a suggestion in the second stanza that. That people can help. That they may not fulfil the thing they were meant to be. Hmm.
3: Yes, that is that is stated in the implication. Um and, and also but that is by how that is where the the poem is divided into the first portion where each mortal thing does one thing and the same, and the second portion where the justices and the Grace's going are qualified by being done by the just man who keeps grace and not the unjust man who presumably doesn't.
2: Mm.
1: I wonder whether it might be worth uh, finishing with this, uh, with reading the poem again, but before we do, just observing this possible theme uh, from message from the poem. We are most what we are meant to be when Christ is playing in us. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells stones ring, like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves. Goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying. What I do is me, for that I came. I say more. The just man justices. Keeps grace. That keeps all his goings graces. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. Christ. For Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces.
3: Amen.